Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Rob. We've been mates since we met at drama school in 2004. We're both actors, and for the last 10 years we've been working in all sorts of productions, from small fringe shows to big arena tours. We love the theatre, so we thought we would make a podcast to bring you a series of inspiring conversations with interesting people from the world of theatre. So this is our podcast. Welcome to Inside the West End. Inside the West End with Ben Morris and Rob Copeland. Thank you for downloading episode 13 of Inside the West End. Follow us on Twitter at Inside West End, or if you want to contact us, then email Inside the West End at gmail.com. We are back from our two week break. Rob, how was your trip? Well, this is being recorded in advance, so I'm not paying you. Yeah, just make it up. Uh, really nice um, sun, uh, swam in the sea, and the swimming pool, both of them actually. Uh, cocktails, mojitos. Actually, I'd like to say a big thank you uh, to uh, the barkeep, uh, Simon. He Simon. was very, very attentive. What's he look like? He's um, aver- about average build height um, and has a fine mo. Fabulous. <laughs> anyway, this episode is featuring Summer Stralin. Summer comes from a dynasty, a very theatrical family who have been at the forefront of the industry for years. She's had an incredibly interesting life, Rob. It's very rare to find siblings in the industry who are all very successful, let alone four. Uh, there's four Stralin sisters. Summer's one of them. Her auntie is Bonnie Langford, and her parents are both performers. We were very keen to chat to her from the moment we talked about this podcast. She's a leading woman in in the industry. So this is our chat with Summer Stralen. This is Summer Stralen and you're listening to Inside the West End. I always feel a bit like how do I start? And I just say the same thing. It's so, so good, by the way. I just oh, thank say, you. That's why I got in touch with you, because I heard the one with the lady from the union. And um, and I was like, oh, I've got to talk to these guys. But yes, yeah, so I just wanted to say, oh, that's yeah, that's why much. I got in touch, because I was like, it's great. It's perfect. And, thank you. Yeah, we, it's wicked. That's, that's a lovely way to start. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Summer, for anyone listening who's unaware of your, well, it's been an amazing career, you have come from family who all performers yes pretty much yes parents my great aunt was a ballerina so it starts really far back you know very very early last century she had a ballet school i believe and it sort of got passed down and my grandmother then took on that role and both my my mother and her sisters because she there is another langford not just bonnie who all went who did it and then mummy went to royal ballet school and pet went to art said and then the upper school at royal and then bonnie obviously at talia conti and um and then my mother met my father because he was his father was a brigadier in the army so he's completely was completely out and left to go and be a dancer much to the dismay of my grandfather i think so mommy you know my my mother was a ballet dancer she was at the royal as i said and and left to do I think it was to do the second generation. That's right. And then um, and then they met Anthony Van Last, who is my godfather subsequently. Um, and um, yeah, and as I say, the rest is history. And we just sort of saw them doing it and having a great time. And my, you know, having my older sister then go very you know, seriously into it, um, going to arts educational school. I sort of saw what a great time she was having and was like, you know, in the field having to do hockey and things like that at 10. And went, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. There's lots of, you know, good looking boys at 
arts ed and I'm just in a girl's school and it's a bit boring. So I just went, well, I might as well give it a go. And that was sort of what, where it happened. What part of the country are your family from? Uh, fra- well, my father's all around because he was the army, but my mother's um, my- Twickenham, sort of southwest. Mummy, God bless her, is the most supportive. Um, I mean, she's brilliant. She's brilliant on a non-Mama Rose way, and I'm sure she'd be very happy for me to say that because she is not like that at all. She was just sort of always there to help us darn our point shoes or you know she was saying the other day she was having to unpick a character skirt from with ribbon around the bottom for for sassy because she's um, she's having to use it for something and and she was sort of thought when is this going to end you know sassy's <laughs> 22 now you know and so uh yeah she's always been the one sort of ferrying us around and you know we're very lucky in that in that way so in your early years uh, growing up mm. i mean theater would have been in your life from day one. Yeah. But what were you like as a young person? What other things were going on? I was very grumpy as a young person. My my older sister, Scarlett, was an angel child. <laughs> I mean, pure angel child would do everything, you know, just do as she was told and, 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 and loved doing it. And, and, you know, it was sort of very um, obvious that she always wanted to do it, whereas I sort of tried to rebel and love I'm a animal lover and I wanted to be a vet at one point and then I thought oh no that's a bit too hard my mother and father always say that I always used to say why can't you just get a normal job and be normal <laughs> so are you still the grumpy one I'm not so the so much the grumpy one because I because I realized that a lot of it came from insecurity which so often is the case from fear of not being good enough um and that's what I realized only a few years ago it wasn't you know very long ago that I realized that and so now I'm a lot more sunny and sort of um grateful for what I have in my life with the four of us we all have our little quirks that that do come out when we're together and we we all terrorize each other as well you know like siblings do when we're all together one of them is like when we're all together one of us is always the butt of the joke for that day and then the next day it'll be the next person and the next you know and it sort of rotates you've mentioned your sisters all four of your performers and all yeah. done very been very successful mm, yeah. do you think that there really ever was an option to do something else when you've got that going on around you uh, Not that you the, would have been The stopped. short answer is no. It was so prominent. And, you know, I mean, art and music and dancing, and it's a very um, expressive thing. And that's what uh, my mother and father always let us be expressive. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think that really there would have been an option. They, they, as you say, wouldn't have stopped it if we'd wanted to do something else, but it just didn't come up. Do you think that thing of having other people around you who are all very strong especially especially family mm. that pushes you on harder that pushes you on further do you think that's part of it watching your sisters do very well what, uh, it, driving you uh i think once i decided that it was actually what i wanted to do and sort yeah. of go for um i personally that stubborn sort of sagittarian in me just was like right i'm just going to do it for myself yeah. you know yeah, yeah. um but i i think there is an element of that definitely i think it's like any siblings that have you know have a successful sibling it's going to push them um however subconscious it is yeah. it's never a conscious thing i think it, or it hasn't been in the past you know whereas now it it, it is uh, you know we we all just want to do well in our um in our lives you went to a stage school secondary school i yes. believe well, what was that period like it was different because my sister was there um she was a, uh, two years above me which, you know, was funny because we used to have the, oh, Scarlett, just get, 
oh, I'm so sorry. Sometimes go over, you know, which we still get today. It's hilarious. And at the time, I didn't really mind it because I was proud of her. But um, I hated school. I hated any kind of school. Um, not because I was bad at it. I was quite intelligent, I thought. It, it was a private school and, it, you know, my, my parents had to scrimp every last dime you know because they were on an ensemble wage in the west end you know um it wasn't that we're from a posh family and we've got lots of money because we didn't have i think that's a sort of misconception of the strauss is that we've all kind of been um handed it to us which isn't really the case we had to do the scholarship auditions and all of that and i was 10 when i went and it was a sort of time when i didn't really know if i really wanted to do it and i got bullied (laughs) I, you know, by older students, because I was quite good because I'd been doing it a long time. You know, I'd been doing it my whole life. As soon as I could stand on my feet, I was pointing them, you know. So um, so I I was sort of ahead of, a bit. So after this, you go up after secondary school, drama school, do you, mm. go, you go then go on? I to went a, to Lanes for a year yeah. and we had two weeks left of uh, the term. And then the Cats audition happened and I uh, got swing in uh, in the last cast of Cats in town and... And that was it. That was your first job. And that was my first job. As a swing on cats. As a swing. And I was awful. (laughs) I was so bad. I literally was like the worst swing because I didn't have that long to learn. And also being 16, I don't know. I'm sure there's someone who would have been able to do it a lot better. But I was, again, I feel very lucky about that because being the last cast at the New London was something special. I'll never forget it. For most performers, that first job after drama school represents a huge step in their career. You know, they've made it. They've achieved something they've set out to achieve. For you, you had already done quite a few professional jobs through your life. Mm. Did it feel like you were like a big step for you or did it just feel like a continuation? I don't think it did, to be honest. I think that's I think you've hit the nail on the head there because... What came into my mind then was doing Scrooge because I did Scrooge at the Dominion with Anthony Newley when I was, gosh, 12, um, 13. And um, yeah, so I, you know, and also pantos. I did panto from when I was three years old. Literally, I was being carried around in panto at three. And so every every Christmas we would be going into a rehearsal room with professionals. And it was a good training to be sort of respectful of, of the people who are more experienced um and so yeah so I think I after being in those rehearsal rooms and it was sort of yeah I'd already done it so to speak you know but going into the theatre and stuff like that I think it was quite a big deal I didn't think it at the time and there's a there's a lot of times when I think gosh I didn't enjoy that do you think that first job taught you anything that you've carried since doing it as a swing especially on cats it taught me that I never want to be a swing again (laughs) (laughs) it really did for anyone listening who doesn't know what a swing is Mm. what is your definition of that a swing would be uh, a person who covers most or all of the ensemble roles Um, I had um, most of the ensemble parts to learn which you know you can be up to nine parts you can cover at the same time and then whoever if the ensemble person who who is actually playing that part goes off then you go on um, and the thing with cats is that you know there's a lot of different places and a lot of different people doing a lot of different things all at the same time so it was quite a baptism of fire um, but um, I, I was there with my good friend John Partridge who taught me a lot in in being a lead you know he 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 led the company as Ramtam Tugger and he, he embraced me and he sort of took me under his wing a lot which was really kind and he taught me to sort of just be fearless um, I mean I don't think I took it on until now 
Um, you know, I'm 31 now uh, and kind of wish I'd taken it on a bit sooner. But, um, but you know, I, I, I'm always learning how fearless you can be. And I think with the rehearsal period for a play, now that I've done a play, I now, you know, you have more time to, to create different things and to, and to try different things. Whereas in musical theatre, it is so much quicker to, you know, get it on and get it done because there's more to do. You have to sing and you have to get build that stamina up and, you know, and, and generally there's less time to rehearse these things. Did you ever have that thing as a swing where you're not in the right position and you feel someone tut at you? Or... Every single time. Well, although I didn't feel people tut at all. People would just laugh. I mean, it was quite... It, the thing with Cats that I loved as well is that they we had six-month contracts so you know people could leave after six months if they felt like their knee was going to go and then if it was all right after six months they come back you know and I think that kept it fresh um uh so people never really got stale and so and I think that's the you know possibly a problem that we have in the West End is these long contracts we're all artists and we and we need to be um stimulated a lot and so people didn't get so bored so easily and so if someone went in the wrong place they just pushed you out the, no not pushed you but sort of guided you in the right direction and and they were all very kind on on I was lucky in the cast healthily but sternly <laughs> yeah yeah as long as you didn't step on anyone's toes literally then generally they would forgive you I can't think of a scarier first job nightmare job for me than being swing <laughs> on cats I mean whenever- I don't know Matilda I think is is up there yeah, now Matilda yeah. I saw that saw that show in the uh, the the gates section I thought that is a swing nightmare I would not want to be a swing on that show I, I completely celebrate those swings tell us is there any negative to being Australian oh loads <laughs> um yeah loads I think the first one would be what I mentioned before about being having a preconception that we've all been handed it to us on a plate to a certain degree we've had we've been very lucky in the support we've you, we've had um and and i guess the 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 push you know it's like you know any athlete has to have someone behind them until you realize that own you know inside motivation you know also <laughs> at the moment we have a lot of things where you know people get emails saying my name when it should be someone else and you know we've had that too and and it's sort of it is it can be quite upsetting you know but the pros outweigh them outweigh the the negative definitely you know i i'm loving seeing all these things like the stralometer stralometer and <laughs> you know the the high kick if it's a good show they've got it on a five and if it you know if they don't like it, it's a one you know and it's it's degrees of what you know how high you can get your leg and you know and I loved this one on BuzzFeed the other day where it said um, that awkward moment when you go into a pineapple class uh, where it says general, but is actually okay for Australian and you feel like you want to die. <laughs> I thought that was quite sweet. You know, it's all very yeah. flattering. There's there's some really flattering stuff. Your name came up in our interview of West End producer. Oh, we did yes. an interview face to face. Yes, and I didn't. Yeah. And he says, we asked him about being a triple threat in the industry and how mm. important it is. And his advice was... Just change your surname by default to Stralin. Yeah. And they'll presume you can do it. Yeah. Um, that must add a <laughs> they'll pressure. They'll presume, but it'll be soon. Like yeah. They'll realise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Especially if they saw my pose later. <laughs> um, but that must add a pressure. Like you, it, it must, I guess, more for your younger sisters than, than yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I think Zizi and Sassy have have got a, a really hard job, um, you know, and uh, my gosh, I mean, 
look how good well they're doing you know um you can say that yeah you can definitely say it but as i say you know as soon as you get in the room that's when you have to yeah you are just i'm just summer then you know as soon as i get into an audition room or you know have a meeting with anyone it's just me you know and and what i also realize and what we've kind of all, all the sisters try to abide by is that we all have our own essence you can't be that you know you can't be another person and as soon as you sort of realize your own uniqueness is when you stop thinking of comparing yourself to anybody else and that as that again i would say now now that i've learned that is a pro for me that i've had that lesson taught to me because my sisters are so close to me in you know in what we do i can't spend time comparing myself mm, to them no. as anything because we're similar in that yes we can all get our leg behind our head yes we can all sing a top c yes we can all act the pants off whatever we're given because that's what we love to do but we can also only do our best yeah, have you guys ever been up for the same roles recently we have yes oh. yeah how did you find out uh, my mother in the waiting room. <laughs> no, no, my mother. She she'd spoken to one of us. I will who will remain nameless. But yeah, but you know, it's it's going to happen, especially now because we're you know, although Scarly and I have uh, ten, and then Scarly's twelve years on Sassy. I have ten years on Sassy, um, and um, and six on Z. So you know, Z and I are sort of we're closest, and Scarlett and I are obviously very close. But Scarlett's more of a soprano I'm more of a belter you know Z and Sass can do it all because they're they're just brilliant but it's an age thing now it's just going well either they want someone with that's that or they want you know they want me or they want Sass or they want Z or you know as I say again it's that uniqueness that it's the same as me going up for it with Lara Pitt-Pulford or Rosie Craig or Emily Tierney you know it's it's the same we have to just look at it like that it's it's just a job you can't you can't hold on to it or try to control it because you just you'll just hold on too tight and invariably it'll be it won't come to you if you do that it's nice to hear you kind of suggest that there's not there's not been a, a rivalry or that between i would have presumed it's uh, it must be a real credit to your your, your parents your family mm. upbringing that that's not been the case i think you'd have to ask z and sass really because yeah. for scarly and i we're we're closer in age and i've always been the younger sister so I've always sort of seen her do things and then gone, oh, I'll do that. And then, yeah. you know, and I covered her in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. She was truly scrumptious. I was first cover, you know. And and so I always look at it like, well, if she does something first, then of course she does. She's older than me. So that's, yeah. you know, so you'd have to ask them what they feel in that respect. Um, but that's how I feel with my older sister, you know, especially with my younger sisters. I have no rivalry with them because, again, it's the uniqueness. Uh, you know, I've learned that. Um you know, I've learned that the hard way as well, you know, sort of pushing people away. And I, I can be I can be friends with people with girls in the business now a lot better than I was before. I found it more difficult because I was compa- comparing. I would really like to push the point home of that. No one needs to do that, even though it's quite a saturated business. And, you know, we don't have a clothes shop like America, blah, blah. Um, you know, ultimately, if you're meant to be doing it, you're going to be doing it. And you have to just let it happen and stop holding on. <laughs> I held on for a long time. This is why I can, like, it takes one to know one. I can, you know, say from experience, I held on. And, you know, and as soon as I just let go and just said, just let, just do whatever you need to do, universe. It, You know, I'm a lot happier for it. I um, recently read a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And if 
I could tell anyone to read a book, it would be that because it just reignites that passion in you for what what we do. Because it does become, you know, suddenly becomes a job, and people then get, you know, married and they have babies, or they, you know, or, or, or they get bogged down with trying to be somewhere that they're not at the time. And and it's a great book. It, it completely changed everything for me, really. That and the power of now as well. Everybody who I talk to knows all about this. Um, but it's a, it was a, a big sort of turnaround for me um, in how I look at being an artist. And you've learned that over time, of yeah. course. And oh, so goodness. what about um, with regards to auditions? How has your approach to auditions changed over, over time? And what is that approach? Uh, well, I still get nervous because you want to do your best. And that's so, so often the case is that you go into an audition and you feel like you could have done it better. But again, it's that letting go of that control, which invariably helps when you're actually in the room. Um, and I feel like people, again, sort of don't let go of the fact that they might just not be what they're looking for. It's not that, you know, their talent isn't good enough. That's the thing, I guess, about about putting the work in is is as long as you feel like you are at the top of your, you know, top of your peak of your um, of your talent and you, you are on top of that, then all you've got to do is go in and enjoy it. Because, again, as I say, you're not going to be right for everything. Mm. Um, and I think I learned that mostly because I just got back from L.A., where, you know, you uh, here when you go in for a TV casting, it's a meeting with the casting director and you sort of spend a bit of time talking about yourself and, and all of that. Whereas in the States, the, the castings that I went to, it might not be across the board, but the ones that I went to was very much like a chorus line. You, stu- you, you turned up and there were five other chairs. And then I came out and as soon as I came out, there were five other people who looked exactly the same, you know, and it was sort of more, it, it was about what you looked like. And then whether that essence of yourself came across to the casting director and if if your essence isn't the right essence then then it doesn't matter because you can't change your essence <laughs> i think that's a slogan for me you know you can't you can't change your own uniqueness hope you're enjoying the conversation stay with us and we'll be back to the chat in a moment Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday. And if you subscribe, it'll just appear on your device ready for you to listen to. It's really easy to subscribe. Just go to your podcast app. If it's an iPhone, then next to the logo for our show, you'll see a little settings wheel that looks like a cog. Click on that. A few options down, it says subscribe. Or if you're using an Android phone, then on the Double Pod or Pod Bean app, next to the logo of our show is the subscribe button. Press it, easy as that, and the best part is it's completely free. We put a lot of work into giving you this show for free, so we'd love you in return to rate our show on iTunes and give it a review. It only takes a moment and it makes a big difference to us. All of our previous episodes are available for download still. Don't be scared of the ones you've not heard of. We've specifically picked people with interesting chats, so check them all out. Make sure you stay tuned right to the end of the episode and you'll hear a clip revealing who's on next week's show. Now back to the chat with Summer Strallen. One of the things that we find uh, that, that a lot of the people who listen to this show uh, are really inspired by is hearing really succe- successful people talk about the times when it when it was difficult and they had to persevere. I, w- I was talking to a friend uh, earlier today who should have by now had a huge amount of success and has not. Uh, and this is four or five years. And she's still going and still being proactive. Have you had moments like that? I've had moments in shows when I've been uh, questioning why I'm doing it because it's 
I'm not enjoying it. And I think that was to do with the fact that I did a lot of jobs because I felt I should rather than actually wanting to. And I mean, goodness, that's a very nice place to be, you know, um, because I haven't been unemployed. But then again, I could be dancing at Café de Paris. I danced at Café de Paris on a podium, which my mum used to call pole dancing. Hilarious. I'm like, mum, no, it's a slightly different thing than pole dancing. (laughs) But, you know, I could do that and that would sort of quench my thirst for creativity. But I think reading The Artist's Way um, has spurred me on even more to get together with other people who are also out of work. There are so many of us, you know, when we are out of work and we all know each other, but it's 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 showing that vulnerability of saying, OK, I'm out of work. Either, you know, if, if you if you not working in a restaurant or whatever that on your days off it is as you say if she's being proactive then that's all you can do is that you can go okay well I've got my day off from the restaurant or from what in front of house whatever so I'm going to get a group of the other actors that I know are out of work and do a play reading of some, of a play that I don't know you know that we've no, no one's ever read or if someone wants to do a bit of directing or you know it it's I've never had to do it. I mean, I am now because I'm sort of making that transition from musical theatre to to more television and film. But, you know, so I have more time to to do that sort of stuff. I, I feel like when people do shows for, you know, year contracts, people get a bit complacent and then they come out of a... Just because it's bound to happen, you know, that's nothing against anybody, but you do get sort of lazy because you get into a job. I think also sometimes uh, you spend so much of your career always chasing, always chasing, and then once you do get a little bit of comfort, you want to go, oh, well, exactly. God, let me put my feet up. Well, absolutely, <laughs> and I feel like the job is actually the waiting that's the job that's when you have to be doing your job that's when you're having to work and then when we're doing musical theatre or any play you know for that time enjoy that but also keep the balance when I was prepping I suddenly had this moment of remembering that you were placed into Hollyoaks for The Sound of Music and you appeared in episodes alongside Andrew Lloyd Webber and David Grinrod. Can you just explain that whole period? Because it's it's so unique. Yes. So they had done the programme How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria and Connie Fisher had been playing Maria in The Sound of Music at the Palladium um, through that competition. And they wanted wanted someone to take over. Uh, So... I was being auditioned for The Sound of Music for Maria, as far as I was concerned. This was Andrew Lloyd Webber's production. This is production. Andrew Lloyd Webber's production of The Sound of Music. And um, and I had a call from my agent to say, um, you have to be completely secretive about this. They want you to play Maria. And I was like, great, um, take over Connie Fisher. But they want you to go into a soap opera called Hollyoaks on Channel 4 um, first. And then they will basically segue your storyline and I was being called Summer Shaw so that they so people would sort of recognize the name uh, for when I went into the the show in the Palladium so it was basically a, a publicity sort of thing in order to build a bit of a profile for me as somebody who has done a lot of work already and here's a sort of seasoned pro so to speak I mean I was I was 21 or something um 22 um, <laughs> with, with 21 years experience yeah pretty, yeah basically yeah so <laughs> 18 years experience you know I wasn't I wasn't someone who done many many leads I'd done about three leads by then and uh, yeah I had to go up to Liverpool for five months of filming and we filmed um, this you know this storyline unfurled I was introduced as a character but nobody knew what it, you know I couldn't tell anybody 
Um, it was completely top secret. I mean, I didn't even tell my family for good, f- well, until I came back from Liverpool, really. So it was about five months while I was doing Hollyoaks. So they just thought I'd got into Hollyoaks. Did the cast members in Hollyoaks know? No, no one knew Fantastic. doing it. It's, am- it's amazing. It's such a unique story. <laughs> yeah. It was so literally like that. We have huge admiration for you in that you are uh, at the forefront of the fight for performers' rights and working yeah. conditions. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Where does that come from? Um, well, it, it comes from reading The Artist's Way and sort of releasing any fear that I'm never going to be um, employed again. It's less about sort of frontier and a sort of revolution of trying to get performers better things it's more about transparency with producers basically of letting producers know how we feel about when we're doing the shows because I think that there has been a moment where the business has become too much of a business and the artists within the business don't know how to deal with it basically and I think that's also to do with social media and phones and people not actually talking to each other Mm. um, you know and not getting together um you know, even with producers, I think producers were a little bit more involved. I think probably because I've come from a dynasty of it, you know, and seeing how it used to be in the 80s and 90s and things like that with my parents. I feel like there's been a there's a there's a bit of a lack of social of a social element in the West End. Um, and community is the main word. Um, and, you know, we do have this union called equity. Um, we have a structure Um Equity is a structure that works, can work really well. But a union is something that is is a collective of people uniting together for the greater good, you know, in anything. You know, I've done a few shows where I felt like as a lead, I've been very well looked after. But then the ensembles aren't so much and they're not so they don't feel so valued. And I think it's purely to do with communication because I feel like because now I know a lot of producers as well as a, as a just from meeting them and I've learned from them that they don't actually know that these people are are unhappy at all or or feeling undervalued and I th- and that's basically what what it's about is is just opening that channel of communication between there is sort of a the channels that you have to go through because of business you know it is a business and people make money out of it so it has to be done the right way and equity is there for us to do that basically Um, and I didn't know that until last year when I went to an equity meeting for the first time in 16 years and went oh I've got to actually turn up and say what's wrong or what I feel could be better if you have a problem invariably the producers don't know I mean, it didn't take, it was quite easy rallying people to um, get together and and actually start supporting one another. So because, how, how did you do that? What, how did it start? It started because I was in uh, Chichester doing Damsel in Distress and we're tra- we were doing the tech and it was, you know, being in Chichester, you're there for two weeks doing a tech and, and, and it, it was just getting a bit difficult with people having to go for auditions and things like that and having to ask the director to leave and... And I and I and these people who these artists who were having to go back were tired and not being able to create as well as they would have liked. And I just felt it had it been me as a as Summer Strallen as the lead, you know, a lead, I think I would have been treated slightly differently. And because I am a wannabe hippie, I just want everyone to have the same amount of love and self worth. 
And I don't feel people feel that they can do that. I didn't realise how people were feeling undervalued. And I don't think producers know. I had situations within my career, as we were saying, where I had been a lead, but I felt like there was such a divide that the ensembles... And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's something to do with me being an egotistical diva or whatever. Maybe it was. <laughs> um, you know, I always try and be nice to people. But sometimes when you're when you're feeling unsupported as a lead, you get insecure and you get, fe- you know, fearful and vulnerable. And you're already in a vulnerable place being in the centre, in the front, in the spotlight. You know, that... And I don't, I don't know until you've been a lead that you can quite understand that. However much money you, you are getting it doesn't make it any better. That's what I realised. I was getting, you know, I, I I started to really, you know, climb that ladder and be, you know, I was at the top. And and I realised that trying to get so much money for something wasn't the point, you know. And I am going on record saying this, that, that I stopped enjoying myself because I was so focused on trying to get stuff for myself. And so now that I've sort of decided that, I'll get what I feel I need for that particular role. You know, because everything else, everything, every sh- job, every show that you do, you have to see what you're going to be doing in it and how much it will affect your life. Because it does. You wake up in the morning as a lead, as I'm sure with featured roles and principal roles who have to sing and things like that. You wake up and you do a siren, which is one of these, mm, to see if your voice is there. I wake up and I think, can I do it today? Do I have it in me? And that's from the minute you wake up. So you start working from the minute you wake up and it does take over your life, depending on what you're doing. Um, and so that's how you put a value on what you're doing. So I'm tr- I want to kind of sort of draw more leads into that mindset. Um, that's not to say that I won't, val- I won't give myself the value that I feel that I need, but I feel like there's a bit less than I, than I, I'll do it for for more for the love of the piece and would want the to know that the ensemble are being valued and and the thing is I think with artists uh, it doesn't take a huge amount of monetary value it's more just sort of how you're treated as a person as an artist and whether you're being valued that's kind of the discussion that needs to happen what, you know whether it's idealist I don't know I'm just doing what I'm doing you know and and, and hoping that people feel a bit more supported and that's what the union is there for us to do it's that that I wasn't explained too well enough was that nothing will get changed unless you voice that and I think the reason that we haven't done that and the reason I haven't done it before is because of fear you know and I and I am still fearful I don't I don't wish to not do jobs I don't wish to be that advocate of you know something that where where producers feel like they're scared of me being in a in a show now because I I'm going to be fighting for people it's not about that it's about just having a bit of compassion for for both parties because I as I say I have friends in, as producers who I want them to do well but I also want the people who are actually doing the shows to be doing well people in companies if they are if they have an issue and they go to an ensemble meeting an equity meeting and voice it something can be done you're a self-confessed theatre fan mm. what's the last piece of theatre that you went out of your way to buy a ticket for purely because you wanted to see it? As in the last thing you bought, the last just thing because I, you wanted to the see it? The last thing because I wanted to see it was People, Places and Things and I was not disappointed. Denise Goth inspired me that night to be a better actress. I don't know how I'm going to do it. To be able to 
do something like try stuff out myself on you know if I don't get to do a play like that or or to have again it's that fearless thing this the word fearless is coming into my psyche a lot where even though John Partridge you know is a bit a big advocate of that when I was in Cats I didn't realize how what he really meant with it and uh, and now I understand for myself maybe it's not his his opinion but for myself it's being fearless in all things in life and that actually helps you when you're in a rehearsal room so so I'm hoping that next time I go into a rehearsal room I will be able to do that I also went to see Le Blanc at the National I'm seeing a lot more at the National because you get 15% discount at, or £15 tickets with equity, which is great. I didn't even know that. I'm basically inspired every single time I go to the theatre now because I've stopped looking at it as a comparison to anybody else, which is the main thing, I think. When you go to the theatre, if you're going to go, oh, well, she didn't sing that note very well. Or, oh, well, her legs weren't very high or whatever. Ultimately, they're doing the job. Get over it, is what, <laughs> what I would say in the in the nicest possible way, with love. Um you know, they are doing the job. Just take what you can from it and learn what you're going to do. You know, um, we just all want to be creating art. And that's what we got into it for, wasn't it? Yeah. In terms of getting into it. Uh, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. For lack um, of a better phrase. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, Summer, if somebody wanted to work inside the West End, what is the one bit of advice that you would give that person? Um, I would say... Um, to know that you're passionate about it. You have to enjoy it. If you st- if you don't enjoy it, then don't do it. Go and find something else because I've realised how passionate <laughs> you asked the question of what the negatives of Australian would be. It's not knowing for sure whether you want to do it and your passion, what your passion is. And now that I've realised the passion for it, it's opened my eyes to how amazing and brilliant our business can be if you are helping people feel something look at life in a way that is about living not about working because if you do that you will stop being defined by your job you're an incredibly inspiring woman i'm very proud of you in what what you're trying to do for the rest of us thank you uh, and we're we're so grateful that you took the time to come and speak to us it's my Inside absolute pleasure A massive thank you to Summer for taking that time to come and chat to us. You're not officially a theatre podcast until you have Australian on it. And now that we do, uh, Summer, thank you very, very much. Also, a massive thank you to you, our listeners. We have listeners all around the world, thousands of you out there listening to us. So get in contact with us. We love to hear what you think of the show on Twitter at Inside West End. Thank you to you guys who have already written reviews on iTunes about what we're doing. If you know anyone who likes theatre or likes listening to podcasts generally, tell them about what we're doing. Uh, We've lined up some really exciting guests for the upcoming episodes, so spread the word. Remember to stay tuned to the very end for a clip of the next episode, but before that, we make this podcast for free. If you've enjoyed it and you'd like to help us make future episodes, then here's how you can. Next time you shop online with Amazon, visit InsideTheWestEnd.com first. Click on any of the Amazon adverts on our site. It will take you straight to Amazon. Your shopping will cost you exactly the same as normal, but Amazon will give us a small kickback as a thank you. Also on InsideTheWestEnd.com, you'll see a donate button. If you'd like to make a direct contribution, then click on the button and follow the link. Now, as promised, we have a clip of next week's show with one of the most prominent and exciting choreographers in the UK. 
It's Alistair David. When it comes to auditions, usually it's a, a negotiation between me and the musical director where he'll be saying, really love this girl, and I'll say, she can't dance. I'm not sure I can make that work. Or vice versa. Do you ever have to trade off? Okay, yes. I'll, I'll exchange you yes. the tall, 100%. dark, han- handsome guy for the short, blonde girl. We'll do that trade. 100%. <laughs> I've definitely oh. had those conversations where I've said, all right, well, if I'm being made to have him, you're going to have to have her. <laughs> 